the men should be impeached when they are not really dealing with the people. My soul is tired, white folks, of what you are doing to us. If this society of yours is a great society, God knows I would hate to live in a bad one. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we are tired of people saying that we are satisfied because we are everything but satisfied. Who is that woman? Is she speaking 50 years ago or today? I'm Anita Johnson, and that's the voice of civil rights leader Fannie Lou Hamer. Keep your land in a burning. Keep your land in a burning. Mrs. Hamer would have turned 100 years old on October 6, 2017. Today on Making Contact, you'll hear archival recordings and excerpts from a powerful new documentary featuring Fannie Lou Hamer's contemporaries, themselves now elders. But first, you'll hear about the context of her life and the lives of other sharecroppers in Mississippi 60 years ago. Dream Deferred was an outreach film made in 1964 by Harvey Richards, together with members of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. SNCC's Amzie Moore introduces the sharecroppers and their situation. I wonder about 150,000 people in the, in the 18 Delta counties, I just keep wondering how they're going to eat and what they're going to wear because they have no money, they have no food, and they have no clothing. They have no way to buy food and clothing. There's no work on the farm for them to do because the mechanical cotton picker has taken the job of picking cotton, and we have what is called the pre-merge which is killing the weeds, and they can't do much chopping. We are farming people here in Mississippi, and we rent land, and at the end of the year, most of our earnings go to pay rent, and the different expenses of the crops takes all that we make, and when we pay for what we avoid to make a crop, we hardly have enough money left to do us through the winter we usually have to go back and make arrangements for to live on, on the contents of the farming proposition have got so high here, we have to use so much fertilizer, so much poison, and whatnot until after it's all said and done, the white man gets the biggest of the money and we don't have any left. We are just poor people and need food and clothing for our kids. To understand relations between black and white in Mississippi, one must understand the central role of violence violence in many forms. Aimless violence by a white citizen who beats a Negro for a lark. Purposeful violence by a gang of whites who drive by the home of a sharecropper who seeks to vote and fire a dozen shots into his living room. One must understand that violence from whites, both police and private citizens, against blacks is part of the Southern way of life. Finally, one must understand that violence against the Negro from whatever source, receives no legal redress, not from the patrolman or the deputy sheriff, not from the local prosecutor or the judge. To my idea, Negro in the state of Mississippi, not only in Tallahatchie County, in the state of uh, Mississippi, he don't stand a chance of a rabbit. Uh, You have to buy a license to kill a rabbit 
You don't have to buy anything to kill Negroes. We don't have no rights at all in, in Mississippi. We can't even have a white man arrested for doing anything. If he, a uh, Negro, having to just steal a chicken or something from him, he'll get 10 to 20 years of probably a lifetime on penitentiary. He could kill your mother or your baby or anything. He don't get no time at all. And they don't even get punished for it. You can't even have a rest and can't even talk to the shame. Down Fannie Lou Hamer's roots were in the community described in Harvey Richards' Snick film. She began picking cotton at the age of six and lived as a sharecropper and a timekeeper on a plantation in Sunflower County. She was deeply religious. Her adoptive daughter believes she became woke in her activism after she discovered she had been sterilized without her consent by a white doctor. So when the Snick voter registration drives began, she joined in. And she always said, the only way they'll get me out of the movement is to kill me. We want leaders in our community. And what people will say, say, well, if we can get rid of Fannie Lou, say we can get rid of the trouble. But what they don't know, freedom is like an Eden council. If you kill me, it'll break out all over the place. In a soon-to-be-released film by Robin Hamilton, entitled This Little Light of Mine, The Legacy of Fannie Lou Hamer, we hear from civil rights activists Dory Ladner and Heather Booth, former members of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and Reverend Leslie McLemore, who worked with Mrs. Hamer in the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. He recalls, The linchpin of the changes in the rules of the Democratic uh, National Convention reside in the testimony of Mrs. Hamer. Well, Ms. Hamer's position was that um, if we don't have the right to vote, we can't talk because she realized that the power was in the political process in the vote. I met Mrs. Hamer in a mass meeting and Shortly after then, we went to the courthouse to register to vote. We took a whole busload of people on a yellow school bus to the Indianola courthouse to register to vote and stayed there all day long. And you were at their mercy. The police are standing outside the door with the billy clubs, you know, the sheriffs and, the, and so forth. So you're intimidating situation to begin with when you get the nerve to go into the courthouse. So you couldn't register in the normal system, let alone the poll taxes and the literacy tests that were uh, totally rigged to allow white people to be able to register and to prevent black people from registering. You know, asking questions like, how many bubbles in a bar of ivory soap? Or what does section 309 mean in the Mississippi Constitution without looking at a copy of the Constitution there? Whereas White people might simply be asked, what's your name and where do you live? It was within this context that on August 31st of 1962, Mrs. Hamer took the test 
and tried to register to vote. She got on the bus and headed home to her barebone shack next to the fields, where she was soon confronted by the plantation owner, Mr. Marlowe. He said, well, Fannie Lou said, you will have to go down and withdraw or you will have to leave. And I addressed and told him, as we have always had to say, Mr. I said, I didn't register for you. I said, I was trying to register for myself. He said, we're not ready for that in Mississippi. He wasn't ready, but I've been ready a long time. I had to leave that same night. On the 10th of September in 1962, 16 bullets was fired into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Tucker for me. Now, the question I raise, is this America? The land of the free and the home of the brave? Where people are being murdered, lynched, and killed because we want to register and vote? I first met Mrs. Hamer in the winter of 1963 after she had been evicted from the Marlowe Plantation. We got to know each other, you know, through the workshops, because they were all day and singing at night uh, after dinner. And Fannie Lou Hamer just emerged as the person on the spot. I mean, with the singing, with the talking, with the role playing, and, and just her presence. overpowered because her voice, she had this magnetic voice that she threw her head back and started singing. Music was such an important part of the movement, and the music really set the stage for a lot of the mass meetings because there was always singing before the mass meeting, I mean the really good mass meeting. That's the voice of Fannie Lou Hamer in 1964, with echoes for today. And you're listening to Making Contact. To hear this entire program or others, check out our website at radioproject.org. Subscribe to our podcast. Sign up for Making Contact updates. Take our survey or join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. Fannie Lou Hamer soon emerged as a leader. She felt that the only way thousands of black people in Mississippi were going to be able to vote was to register. And the only way to register was with the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. So she fought for that party to be recognized as part of the Mississippi delegation to the Democratic National Convention. So we started to register people for the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. 
and Ms. Hamer and Reverend King were the two co-chairs of that party. And our goal then was to get representation of the integrated uh, delegation at the Democratic Convention, which was being held in Atlantic City. We are recognized as the party. But we worked out in advance what Martin would say, what I was going to say as a white Mississippian, was violence that had been directed to me and to others and described the violence. And that got too much for the white delegation and they tried to shut me up. I have been imprisoned, I have been beaten, I have been close to death. That was a mistake on their part because they knew they couldn't shut up Martin Luther King, but they weren't paying any attention to who this woman might be. And I knew she was gonna be more than Martin. We weren't even sure it was gonna be broadcast. We prepared it, so she wasn't trying to be a media star to the nation we really thought they won't carry it at all. Lyndon Johnson wanted it stopped and wanted other messages. Yes, that was controversial. Lyndon Johnson reportedly said, get that woman off of TV, don't have her back on television again. But because of the hostility towards her, the media uh, presented more of what she had to say. All of this is on account of we want to register to become first-class citizens. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. She brought to the fore uh, the Freedom Democratic Party, what it meant, what it, what it stood for, and, and the people. So she shined a certain light on the people in the room. But what she did, she brought special attention to all of us who were delegates, all of us who were from Mississippi. At the convention, Humphrey was explaining to us that Johnson had said he could become vice president if the convention didn't blow up and that uh, we had to be stopped. So Humphrey is begging and he knew she was the one he had to convince, not me. And then he said, you folks have got to help me. I must have this job. And she said, Senator Humphrey, I worked on Mr. Marlowe's plantation in Sunflower County, home of Senator Eastland. And when I tried to register to vote, I lost my job. And Pat, my husband, they fired him just because of me, and then they made us move out of the house. She then moved in with some local people, and they shot into the homes where she was staying. And then she said, Senator Humphrey, I'm here, though. God's taking care of me. Senator Humphrey, don't worry. If you lose this job of vice president, God's going to take care of you. That ended the conversation, and she was excluded from the final negotiations. Fannie Lou Hamer testified at the pre-convention about an incident she recounted many times. 
June 9, 1963, Fannie Lou Hamer had gone to a voter education workshop in South Carolina. When she entered back into the state of Mississippi, her group's bus pulled into a rest stop. There they were ambushed by the police. Six of them were taken to the Winona jail. And I was put in a cell with Miss Evesta Simpson. And after I was put in this cell, I could just hear some horrible screams and horrible sounds, you know, of licks. And I saw one of the girls was 15 years old was with us. And she passed my cell and she was real bloody. And then they asked the little man that cleaned up the jail to go inside and mop up that blood. And then I heard some more screaming, and I heard some awful sounds. And I would hear somebody when they say, can't you say yes, sir, nigger? Can't you say yes, sir? And they would call her names that I wouldn't want to go on tape. And she said, yes, I can say yes, sir. So I said, and she said, I don't know you well enough. And I would hear when she would hit the floor again. And finally, she began to pray. And she asked God to have mercy on these people because they didn't know what they was doing. And after a while, they passed my cell door with this young woman, Miss Annelle Ponder. And one of her eyes looked like blood. And her hair was standing up on her head, and her clothes had been torn from the shoulder down to the waist. And then three white men came to my cell. And one of them was a state highway patrolman because he was wearing a little silver plate across his pocket that said John L. Bassinger. And he asked me where I was from, and I told him I was from Ruville. And he said, I'm going to check that. And he went out, and I guess he called Ruville. And they did, didn't like me in Ruville because I worked with voter registration there. And when he came back, he said, you damn right. They said, you're from Ruville, all right. And we going to make you wish you was dead. And they led me out of that cell into another cell. And he gave a Negro prisoner a blackjack. And he ordered me to lay down on a bunk bed. And a Negro prisoner said, do you want me to beat her with this, sir? And he said, you're damn right, because if you don't, you know what I'll do for you. And I laid down on the bunk like he ordered me to do. And the first Negro beat me. He beat me until he was exalted. And after he beat the state highway patrolman, ordered the second Negro to take the blackjack. And during the time he was beating, I began to work my feet because that was a horrible experience. And the state highway patrolman ordered the first Negro that had beat to sit on my feet while the second one beat. And I just began to scream where I couldn't control it. And then the white man got up and began to beat me in my head. I have a blood clot now in the outer to the left eye and a permanent kidney injury on the right side from that beating. These are the things that we go through in the state of Mississippi, just trying to be treated like a human being. But still, this is called a part of America. shared her experience of being jailed and beaten. She became known around the world, although today's history books may not reflect that. She was in dialogue with many facets of the Black struggle, including her friend Malcolm X 
and groups defending their communities with arms, such as the Deacons for Defense. I respect those people because they are doing what I believe every Negro under the heaven feel if he doesn't have the guts to say it. People, it is people have different uh, feelings about uh, Dr. King, but Dr. King's organization do have some great people like Mrs. Septimus P. Clark that wrote the book Echoes in My Soul is a great woman and there's quite a few other people that I admire in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and respect. But uh, I take this stand with any person, uh, a person that was born in the middle class that have never had to suffer. You know, he can afford to take things maybe easier than I can, and all I've ever done was suffered, you see. And, and uh, in fact, a person that's born in the middle class and have always had things somewhat decent, he can't make a decision for me because he actually don't know how I feel. I don't see all people as bad. If we didn't have some good white people, it wouldn't be anybody standing up, you know, trying to help bring about a change and make things better, not only for the Negro, but it will benefit every human being in this country if we were just freed. Fannie Lou Hamer spoke out on civil rights, women's rights, human rights, and anti-poverty. In 1969, Claude Marx of the Freedom Archives recorded Ms. Hamer discussing the racism of the U.S. war in Vietnam and the displacement of people of color in what was then termed urban renewal. Because people now no longer believe in a lot of the stuff they've been reading. You know, I was really shocked. I got to go into a lot of little of our history to come back to Vietnam and our policies. The truth hadn't been told to us no way, because I was really shocked when I found out that Columbus didn't discover America when he got dead with some black brothers saying, get on off, honey, and tell us where you want to go. You kept too many things hid, not only from my kids, but you kept them from your kids. That's the reason why your own kids is rebelling against you because of a sick system. But we want the boys, you know, I don't think that we have time to say, well, we can get them out after another million is killed. We want the fellas to come home now. And you know, I do believe with this kind of audience, and I think it's this kind of audience in other places, I think a man should be impeached when they are not really dealing with the people. And I want to say, I want to say to you, white America, you can't destroy me because I'm black to save your life without destroying yourself. All right, well, we want to have peace. We want to have peace, and the only way that we can have peace is to bring the boys home from Vietnam, start dealing with the problems in the United States, Stop all of this urban renewal and model cities that's pushing people out of a place to stay and start dealing with facts of life. Right on. It's a lot of people 
It's a lot of people that said, well, forget about politics. But baby, what we eat is politics. And I'm not going to forget no politics. Because in 1972, when I go to Washington as Senator Hamer from Mississippi, you're going to know it's going to be some changes made. Because we are going to change Mississippi. Let's give Fannie Lou Hamer the last word. And we are on our way now. We are on our way and we won't turn around. We don't have anything to fear. We have moaned a long time in Mississippi. And he said the meek shall inherit the earth. And there's no race in America that's no meeker than a Negro. We are the only race in America that has had babies sold from our breasts, which was slavery time, and had mothers sold from their babies. And we are the only race in America that had one man to march through a mob crew just to go to school, which was James H. Mary. We don't have anything to be ashamed of. All we have to do is trust God and launch and out into the deep. You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. Special thanks to Robin Hamilton and her new film, This Little Light of Mine, The Legacy of Fannie Lou Hamer. Paul Richards at Estuary Press for the use of the films Dream Deferred and Will Never Turn Back, produced by his late father, Harvey Richards. Claude Marks at the Freedom Archives. Colin Edwards and his widow, Mary Edwards. Paul Stewart at Hapcast Productions. Shondellas at Pacifica Archives. Keith McMillan at Jackson State University. Dr. Guha Shankar at the Library of Congress Folklife Center. Dr. Shade Turnipseed 
and her Cotton Pickers of America Monument and Interpretive Center, Emily Harris assisted with editing. And special thanks to our listener, Lisa E. Williams, for providing original music and to the musicians appearing in Robin Hamilton's film, Matthew Prince, Josh Kramer, Fred Capo, Senku, Horty, Art Tune Tech, and Pond5 Music. The Making Contact team includes Lisa Rudman, Marie Che, RJ Lozada, Monica Lopez, Sabine Blazin, Vera Tykolsker, and I'm Anita Johnson. Listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher and rate us so others can find Making Contact. Please share your feedback on Facebook or Twitter. Don't miss our news. You know, you can sign up for our updates at our website at radioproject.org. Again, thanks for listening. Thank you.